0: grace and mercy and peace to you, from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm teaching tonight for the next few weeks on the subject of faith, a series called Daring Faith. Daring Faith. Some of you may be thinking, hmm, I'm not sure I like that word daring in there. It makes me uncomfortable. I get that, but it's going to stay, <laughs> because the truth is, we don't grow... In comfort, growth is often uncomfortable. However, the result of growing faith is blessing, maturity, answered prayers, and so many other wonderful things. So let's grow into a faith that dares. In our reading uh, tonight from Romans, the Bible said, The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. By what? By faith. That's how we get right with God. Going on, it says, as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Or another translation, the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther, from studying the scriptures, scripture alone, from God's word, he saw the super importance of faith. The Bible says we're not saved as so many assume. By doing good. By your good works. They're never good enough. And we're not saved by our good works. But by faith. Faith in Christ. Faith alone. The three great themes of the Lutheran Lutheran Reformation are on this banner behind me here. But we're talking tonight about that middle one. Faith alone. And not only saved by faith, but we are to live our lives by faith. Like long before we ever get to heaven. Live here by faith. The scripture says, and not by sight. Here's another important uh, verse from the scriptures. This one from uh, Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Did you know that God wants to reward you for earnestly seeking him? How do you do that? By living by faith. The way to live is by faith. The way we connect with God is by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay. But what in the world is faith? Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Sounds simple, but it's pretty deep. More on that in a moment. Because first, I'm going to mention a couple of things that faith is not. Faith is not pretending that something is true that isn't true. You know, I I could have, you know, a a brick of butter (laughs) sitting right here, and I could say, I believe that that's chocolate. I have faith that it's chocolate. Thing is, no matter how much faith I say I've got, it's not chocolate, it's butter. Faith doesn't pretend things, and it's not wishful thinking. Biblical faith grasps things. It sees things that are real and true. Something else. Faith is not a feeling. Now, this is really important. Understand that actually feelings often, feelings often get in the way of faith because when you can, um, you, you can easily feel a certain way, but your faith is saying about that way you're feeling, no, no, okay? So often feelings are what we rely on instead of our faith. Yet many times real faith says, I'm gonna move ahead in spite of my feelings. I'm feeling like, I'm not doing this, but my faith says, oh, we're doing this, okay? I'm gonna do the right thing in spite of my feelings. So what's Faith. Faith is a way of looking at the world from God's point of view, knowing things that he knows because he tells us in his word. It's having God's perspective. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, what is faith? Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. And we have the hope, by the way, because God, who actually knows the future, he sees the future, he's spoken to us and promised us things in his word. Anyway, going on, It says, faith is to be certain of the things we do not yet see. Certain of things we do not see. Faith has to do with your vision. The Bible says that it's a way of seeing. Faith is learning to see things not from your point of view or from your parents' point of view or your friends or your countries or the culture around us. They all got a point of view. Not that. That's not what faith is. Seeing from God's point of view, it's having his vision. Ephesians 1 verse 18 is the master verse on this. And it says, Paul writes there, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see, you can see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he's called. Now, a moment ago, we sang about this verse. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you. What does that mean? It means there's an unseen realm that's more real than the visible realm. For instance, this, you can see this lectern here, especially when I pull the cloth up. woo You can see this lectern thing here because it's made out of wood and it's got some paint on it. But you can't see the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit is more real Than this lectern. The Holy Spirit is going to go on and on living for eternity. Because he's God. This lectern is going to break down. Wear down. Wear out. It'll be gone. Faith as seeing. In 2 Kings chapter 6. The Bible tells us about Elisha and Gehazi. His servant. And how an enemy army was coming against their people. The Jews. Gehazi was very frightened. He gets really upset. He's having a panic attack. Elisha says to him, Gehazi, I don't want you to be upset. And Elisha prays for him, and he prays this, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. All of a sudden, Gehazi's spiritual vision is enabled, and he could see an army of powerful angels surrounding the whole city of Jerusalem. They were there all along, but now he could see them. Suddenly, his fear is gone. And you'd be the same if you could see the realm of angels. God opened his spiritual eyes. This evening, I want us to compare what happens when we see, I want to compare what we, when we see with eyes of fear, and then look at what happens when we see with eyes of faith. Compare those two. There's a good example of these dynamics, fear and faith, in the Old Testament book of Numbers. Chapters 13 and 14. Here's the background to it. Moses had led the nation of Israel to freedom. How? By getting them out from under Pharaoh and out from the Egyptians. And they've crossed the Red Sea, that famous parting of the Red Sea. And now they've been traveling for about two years. Quite a slow pace, really. But they've got a lot of people and with them, their kids and tents and and, uh, goats and stuff. So it's not going that fast, but they're moving along, and eventually they come to a place called Kadesh. Now at Kadesh, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. To go, it's the boundary line, to go into the promised land. This is the land that God had promised to them 400 years earlier, and that they would have as their own country, where they would at last live in freedom. But when they get up to the edge of that river, before they go across, Moses says, okay, Before we go in, I want to send in a a spy team. I'm going to pick 12 guys to go in and spy out the land. They're going to do reconnaissance, you know. They're going to check out what's going on there, do a little fact finding, and then report. 12 spies are chosen and sent ahead. When they come back, well, they've got a mixed report. They're not all in agreement. Two of the spies say, it's incredible, it's ready for our taking. The land God has promised us, we saw it, it's terrific. Those two spies were named Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 spies come back and they said, "Uh, yeah, it's a great place and everything, but, but what? Oh, they give a whole list of problems as to why they can't possibly go in and this won't work, okay? They were not, those 10, seeing with eyes of faith they were seeing with eyes of fear. So let me read you now the names of those ten guys. And as I read them, just raise your hand if you've heard of any of them. You hear one that you've heard of? You raise your hand, okay? Shaphat, Igol, Gadiel, Amiel, Sether, Nabi. What? No Nabi? Okay. Guel, Shamuah no hands up. Here's the point. Nobody remembers the negative guys. Nobody remembers the critics who don't have faith in God's promise and who say it can't be done. The only people who get remembered are the guys who said, let's go do it. In God's name, he's with us. And those names were Joshua and Caleb. People still name their sons after them. They saw with eyes of faith, the others with eyes of fear. Now, because they failed to see with eyes of faith, the entire generation they were part of missed God's purpose for their life in God's will. They didn't get to go into the promised land. They had to wander around in the wilderness for the next 38 years instead of going in simply because they didn't learn to see with eyes of faith. And this is why we're having a series on daring faith. These are some of the most important lessons you can possibly learn. Then let's contrast what happens when we see with eyes of fear versus seeing with eyes of faith. First point is this, when we see with eyes of fear, you know what we do? Inevitably, we exaggerate the difficulties, okay? Look! Look at those Israelites in the Book of Numbers again. God's just delivered them from Egypt, which was the most powerful, superpower uh, nation in the world at the time. Yet now they're worried about some local tribe across the river. Oh, it can't be done. What? They've just defeated Pharaoh. Yet they're now in knots about somebody else. How quickly they forgot. But when you look at your problems with the eyes of fear, they just get bigger. Keep looking at your problems, they just get bigger. The more you look at your problem, the more exaggerated it gets. You know how it is, um, somebody criticizes you, say. The more you think about it, the more you dwell on it, pretty soon you think the whole world is criticizing you. It grows by proportion. Ten out of twelve spies who reported to Moses and the people gave a negative report. They said that the people who live in the land were really big. They said they were like giants, and they said they'll crush us. We're like grasshoppers to them. Let me point something out here. So it was 10 negative, two positive. The, The majority report is often, very often negative. Anybody who's gonna get something done in this world is very often gonna have to go against the majority report because the majority of people are going to be looking with eyes of fear and not eyes of faith. Only two of the spies have faith, as I said, Joshua and Caleb. Do the people trust them? No. They nearly always go for the majority report because there are nearly, are nearly always more warriors, more critics, more naysayers, and fearful, fretful people. When they walked up there to the edge of that river... Right to the border, everybody was excited about going into the promised land. It was only when the 10 came back and said, oh, we can't do it, that everybody changed their mind and began to get infected with the negative attitude. Negativity is contagious. What were they not seeing? God's perspective. He has already acted with vast power to get them out of Egypt. He was still with them. And he had promised that they'd go into that new land. Nevertheless, without faith, fear is in control. We exaggerate our difficulties and also underestimate our abilities. A second thing that happens when you see with eyes of fear, we become discontent. Pretty soon it's all gripe, gripe, gripe. Griping. About what? Oh, about everything. Everything that's going wrong in your life. In Numbers, the people were all moaning. You know, things are tough for us out here. Poor us. And then in 14 verse 2, after an all-night pity party, it says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They picked on the leaders. We wish we had died in Egypt, they wailed. Really? Or even here in the wilderness. They'd rather die there in the wilderness than go across into that land. First they cry, then they complain. None of this comes from faith in God. What happened to those Israelites is recorded, brothers and sisters, for our instruction. They eventually gave up altogether and blamed God. Nice. What was their real problem? No faith. See, because fear felt to them. How did it feel that fear felt to them like they were choosing safety? Don't have to deal with any opponents on the cross river? Let's, let's choose the safe thing. Fear feels like safety. It always does. Faith feels like choosing risk. But listen, God made you to be a risk taker. That's where it gets exciting, that's where things happen. I'm saying God made us to live by faith. Don't die in the desert, whatever your desert is, like they did. Let me now contrast. All that with what the Bible says happens when we start to live our lives seeing everything by faith with God's vision. Learning to look at things not as they are but as they could be. How do you do that and what difference does it make in your and my life? When I begin to open the eyes of my heart, Lord, when I begin to see what God is doing around me, and begin to look at things from God's viewpoint, the first thing faith does is it shrinks my problem. It gives you a new perspective. See, when you see your problem from God's point of view, then everything gets a whole lot more manageable. If you've got a big God, your problems get small. By the way, if you've got a small God, your problems get big. When you come to the Lord, considering what he's already done, and what he's promised, then you say, Lord, you're a big God, and you can handle this problem, and I am going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you with it, and just let you work it out. Seeing with the eyes of faith, you can frankly relax. I don't mean that you'll be inactive, but in the midst of whatever he gives you to do next, you can relax. He's on the job. You'll say, how is it going to be solved? Well, that's God's problem, not mine. He's in control, and he loves me. Faith shrinks my problem. The thing about faith is it moves God. It moves God to act on my behalf. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I do not believe and I do not subscribe to the health and wealth theology where God ends up being a kind of a servant, a genie, if you like, where you rub the bottle or you say prayer or you drop two quarters in the slot machine, whatever it is, and then you hit the jackpot. No. God is not your genie. God is God, and you're not. He is not there to cater to your every whim. He's just not. But at the same time, in Matthew 9, verse 29, reading we had tonight, Jesus said this, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And there are other passages like that. Because of your faith, or according to your faith, it will be done unto you. So if you expect God to do a little in your life, he'll do a little. If you expect God to do a lot, he'll do a lot. If you don't expect God to do anything he won't do anything. He loves faith. He really values it, and he responds to it, which is why we're having this series. But you say, oh, but pastor, I, I don't have a big faith. I wish I did. I, honestly, I don't. That's okay. You don't have to start big. Nobody does. Just start exercising the faith you do have. If it's faith in God, things will happen. Dare to believe, and dare to believe a little more than before. Faith is like a muscle. It strengthens with exercise. You trust God, you see what happens, and you're encouraged to trust him more. God takes pleasure in you trusting in him, and he likes to see you succeed and grow in faith. He's a father to you. You're like his children. You want to see your kids succeed and grow? He feels that way about you. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. See, the problem with us is we think that the wrong things move God. God is not moved by my complaints. God is never moved by my griping, grumbling, or by my whining. None of that moves God. God is moved when I say, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm expecting you to keep the promise you made. You put your name on that promise, I see here in Scripture. And I'm expecting you to do it. Can I tell you something? He beams. He beams when we take him at of his Look at see what Jesus is when people express faith. He beams. He's moved by faith. There are so many benefits to faith. But I'm only going to cover one more. Faith gives me power to hold on in tough times. Why is this important? Because faith doesn't always take you out of the problem. You you know that. Faith often takes you through the problem, not out of it. Faith doesn't always take away the pain. Faith gives you the ability to handle the pain. Things are never going to go perfectly on this planet. You will always have pain and suffering in your life, in this life. Faith gives you the ability to handle it. Faith, seeing it all from God's perspective, actually grasping him, produces persistence. It gives you the ability to bounce back. Study after study after study has shown that probably the most important characteristic you could teach a child and develop in your own life, if you're going to make it in this life, is in fact resilience. The ability to bounce back, the ability to get up and keep going. Why? Because nobody goes through life with an unbroken chain of successes. Everybody has failures. Everybody has flops, duds, mistakes, and falls. We all embarrass ourselves. Nobody goes through life scot-free and untouched. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9, to Paul gives his testimony. He says there, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and we're not broken. We're perplexed but we don't give up and quit. We're attacked, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Paul says we get up and we keep going. Where do you get resilience like that? Faith. Do you see then why you need to work on strengthening your faith? It's what we're spending the next few weeks on. Faith shrinks my problems, moves God to act on my behalf, unlocking his promises and gives me the power to hold on in tough times. And by the way, this is nearly what we always emphasize, but today I'm, it's, a, it's a by the way. Faith is how we're saved. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, i.e. his faith, should not perish, but have everlasting life. When I was a little boy, America went into space and was racing the communists to see who was gonna get to the moon first. For a while, Russia was ahead. They were sending up cosmonauts before we were sending our astronauts. Some of you may remember Yuri Gagarin, famous Russian cosmonaut, atheist, and the first man to go up and circle the earth. When he came down, he said this, I was an eagle, I searched the heavens, and I found no God. His point being, there's no God. All the atheists applauded and said, yeah, Yuri, you just proved there's no God. A few months later, John Glenn, who was a Christian, and then later served as senator, but back then he was an astronaut in the Gemini program. He went up and circled the earth three times. When John Glenn came down, His first words in an interview were, I saw God everywhere. He said, I felt his glory in the heavens. I saw his presence in the stars. I felt his power in the sun. I saw God everywhere. Which one was telling the truth? The answer is, they both were. A faithless man can see only what a faithless man can see. Jesus said in John chapter 3, Unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see what God's doing behind the scenes. You can't see the mighty things, even miracles he's doing. And you can't see his promises to you. You just can't see it. Because without faith, you're not tuned in. But our Lord God creates faith. Faith is created by the Holy Spirit working by hearing the word of God. And God wants to strengthen our faith and to open the eyes of our hearts, and open them more and more. Then I urge you, tonight and through this series, to pray, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, and create in me a daring faith. In fact, would you bow your heads and pray that with me now. Dear Lord, open the eyes of my heart. And create in me a daring faith, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.